This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Turning a New Leaf, where we discuss the changing face of Canada as it prepares to legalize and regulate recreational marijuana across the country. Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. Enjoy. All right, welcome to today's episode. And today's uh, is kind of timely. Um, we're we're talking to Ross Rebliati. And for those of you who might remember, Ross is from Vancouver, British Columbia. And 20 years ago uh, this week, that's crazy, Ross, 20 years. Uh, yeah. Ross was the first ever to win an Olympic gold medal for men's snowboarding at the 98 Winter Games. Now, some of you might remember that after winning the gold, he was found uh, to have THC in his uh, system, which, of course, is the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. And his medal was taken away and he was automatically disqualified. That decision was eventually overturned, largely on the basis that the drug marijuana was not on the list of banned substances at the time. And Ross was given back the medal. Uh, from there, he went on to the, night, to the Tonight Show with Jay Leno became an instant celebrity. I think, Ross, there was even a Saturday Night Live skit that had you in it. Is that true? It is, yeah. They did uh, Will Ferrell, and um, yeah, it was pretty funny. Actually, they <laughs> showed it on the TSN thing I just did uh, called Higher Ground. Yeah. So uh, I was uh, surprised they even found it. Yeah. And now, did you know they were going to do that on Saturday Night Live? No, I was actually in Japan in jail still when that came out. Oh and um, But when I got home, I saw, you know, that David Letterman had done some funny stuff. And The Tonight Show with Jay Leno did some skits and Saturday Night Live. So um, as it turned out, I, um, you know, I went to The Tonight Show, as everybody knows. And then I was literally in New York later on the week. And... Um, I got the call to do David Letterman, but um, because of the stigma and um, I was afraid to do David Letterman and I turned it down. No way. Wow. Yeah, I just didn't uh, know. Like I was, I was really not sure about, you know, I knew that Jay Leno was going to be pretty easy with me. Right. Yeah. But uh, I didn't know how it was going to be like going on David Letterman. Obviously, I didn't see the skits that he did on me when I was in Japan. So I didn't know like the extent of the support that I was getting at the time. Oh, and right. so I was sort of blindly like hoping that I was getting, a, you know, the support, but, uh, yeah. you know, in Japan, like I, I didn't know what was going on here. I just could imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, we've kind of jumped right in. I want, first of all, thanks for joining us. It's, it's pretty cool to have you on the show. Uh, and, and, uh, I appreciate you being willing to chat about it. And to start with, um, I kind of wanted to go back to that. I wanted to go back to the beginning and, you know, I've, I've read, obviously preparing for the chat. I've read more about it. I've watched some of those clips. And of course, just this pack, past week tsn released that um that short film you just mentioned uh higher ground which uh i did finally get a chance to watch um so i wanted to start there how 20 years ago so how old would you would uh, would you have been when you when you won that gold that was 26 26 years old so how did 
like, how do you process that? I mean, you, you win the gold medal. It's the first, it's the first medal in the sport. You win, yeah. like, I can't even, I can't even grasp how that must've felt. So maybe could you just take a minute to kind of go from like winning to, to that news? I mean, again, I remember watching the the clip on the higher ground and, um, you know, you talked about the guys coming into the to the room and asking everyone to leave and asking you to sit down and, and sort of breaking that news. Can so just can you share with me what that was like for you, that the highs and lows of that? Sure. I mean, leading up to the games, uh, you know, we knew it was the first event, you know, the first time snowboarding would be at the Olympics. And that was almost more monumental than being at the Olympics. Oh, right. In itself. And so it was doubly like uh, important as far as we were concerned. Uh, and then also on my side, I was worried about the weed thing the whole entire time. Yeah. In what context were you worried about that? Well, cause I, I used cannabis. And so we found out in 94, 1994, that we would be a full metal sport in 1998. So right. we had four years, they wrap our heads around it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I didn't join the, the new, uh, snowboard tour that brought the tour the sport to the olympics until the very end so i was staying on my world cup tour um but anyway we were i used cannabis i was using cannabis throughout my entire career and you know we found out that we were going to the olympics and we we assumed we would have to you know do drug testing and and comply so that was a huge like it wasn't so much you know how i was going to do on my race or anything it was more like I hope I can pass my weed test. You know, like that was my main problem that I was facing. Um, the training was going great. I, I was feeling, I was feeling great. I was coming off a knee surgery and, and it had taken me a couple of years to get my game back on. And I did um, right before the games. And then, so I do the, the event and it, I win it. And, uh, you know, then, then they took it away like the next day. Well, well, hang on, hang on a sec. You know, okay, what? Pause there for a second. I don't know if we should look over that so quickly. (laughs) You you won the gold medal. So, like, what's going on with you? Are you freaking out at that moment? Yeah, I mean, it was was a huge thing. And to process it is impossible. You can't even process it. Yeah, it's like a shock, right? And you know, it's like you know, a car accident, or at the time it was like a train wreck. Yeah. So, I, you know, the leading up to it, I went through this big whole process of of not even qualifying for the the national team because of some politics, and then I had to get around that and get on the team, and then uh, you know, my there was sponsorship issues and equipment problems, and uh-huh. I, I went to a, some two World Cup races right before Nagano in Europe where they lost all my snowboards and all my equipment, <laughs> custom-made stuff that I was planning on using for Nagano. And so that was gone. I had to borrow equipment for two World Cups, got a fourth and a third place right before Nagano, which was my goal in the first place. Wow. And came into Nagano screaming hot, so but with no equipment because I just borrowed stuff from like 10 teams and so I went home and the board that I borrowed was from an next team rider of mine, but my contract was so big that uh, they cut me off the team the year before. Uh, it was a European team, uh, you know, out of Germany. All my sponsors were out of Europe because 
just as a Canadian athlete, you got to get European sponsors because no one cares what's going on uh, <laughs> from here. So all my sponsors are European. Anyway, they I got the cut. So I went back home and I got that board that I that I custom they made for me. I custom, you know, built it basically yeah. in in Germany. Got it out of the closet, used it for the race. Obviously, it worked out great. All my equipment worked out great. Yeah. Um, I got on the team. I won the thing. Um, you know, I mean, there's a there's a I could talk to you for days about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, but, uh, I mean, you, 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 uh, I remember seeing a quote in that, in that, that film, I think you had talked about the speed that you had in that race. And that at one point, all you could think about was just survive the run. Like, were you going that yeah. fast? Well, 77 miles an hour is pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you survived so, yeah, it. Yeah. Going fast. And it was like, when I inspected the course, I was like, oh, great. This course is open. It looks like it's going to run fast, and that's good for me because that, that was my style. But it was, it was actually so fast that the gates were coming up on me quicker than I could get around them. Yeah, and right. basically, on the second run, like I couldn't change directions soon enough. Like As soon as I would make pressure on my edge, it was time to get off the edge. There was no hanging on to the turn or anything like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely, you know, a survival run. Um, you know, I made it, you can watch it on, on YouTube. Um, I, I nailed every single turn pretty much. It doesn't look like it was, uh, as hairball as it was, but, um, (laughs) it was hairball. And yeah, I, I only, I had to make up, you know, a tenth of a second basically from, my first run right because i was eighth place after the first run so i knew i had to let it go and I only won it by like 200 of a second so um so you know there was a lot of factors that played yeah you you didn't know though like, like when you finished that run did you were you thinking okay i think i i think i did this yeah i was pretty sure that would be hard to beat yeah i had runs like that before and and you just sometimes you have that feeling that the morning of the race, uh, you just are going to be pretty hard to beat that day. And I don't always get that feeling, but when I do, I usually win the race. And I had that feeling the day before the race and the morning of the race and my equipment felt amazing and everything wow. just felt right. So it was, it's probably hard to believe, but, uh, I did have a, a really good, I just knew if I could finish the run that it was going to be a hard run to beat. Yeah. That's amazing, man. So you win, you win the gold, and then uh, they walk in and they say, sit down, and they give you the news. How the hell do you process that? It was a nightmare. I mean, it was like a death in the family or something like that. Uh, you know, I, for me, uh, you know, I was pretty aware of how past athletes had been treated in the media and around the world and how soon they became you know vilified and you know I was, I was you know not really prepared to handle anything like that I mean I I, I trained for the race and yeah, right. I didn't have you know anybody around me you know to help me like deal with anything like this especially the media yeah so you know it was all just off the cuff and um I just took it you know one minute at a time basically it was it was a shock and I, you know, I wanted to disappear and you know, I've made a couple of plans to hide my medal and disappear. But in the end, I just, um, 
you know, faced the music and uh, went through the process. Now, did you have any? Yeah, it was it was pretty tough. Like it was like I I didn't want to be doing it. That's for sure. I can't yeah. stress like it'd be like you're getting like all of a sudden you get busted for something that you weren't expecting to get busted for. And now you're going to jail and now you're leaving your whole family. And yeah. I mean, it, you're kind of in a panic mode. Yeah. Now, did you go to, I, I didn't think you went to jail, but did you go to prison? I was in jail in Japan. Um, the next, so the, the day after they took my medal away, I spent, um, doing, uh, like appealing them yeah. twice and, uh, doing that and then the next day they they um, brought me up to the station because they said they'd, op- they'd opened a, a case and that they wanted me to come up there so we complied and then I ended up in jail up there and um, that's when I uh, got the word you know when I was in jail is when I uh, they said I could keep the medal after all first time in history by oh. the way that anyone lost the medal and then got it back again so you so, made all kinds of history that week. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm not trying to make light of it, but it, it's it's amazing. Like uh, I don't know how anyone could process that much stuff happening to what a matter of days, I guess. Um, the yeah, ups and downs. Of, they were like hanging off the car and and like shoving their cameras in in my face, and yeah, it was really just like the movies, you know. And this was, I mean, processing just that would be something in and of itself. Yeah. And it would be nice if it was for something great. Right. And, and <laughs> yeah. as it turns out, it, it would, it is for something great, but yeah. uh, there was so much stereotype and, and stigma attached to it that, you know, I, you know, countries have banned me from traveling and I got on no fly lists and uh, yeah. I, it wasn't lost on me at all that it, wasn't something that I wanted to have happen at the time. And, you know, Tommy Chong was in prison, you know, just for selling bongs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, here I am like on the world stage telling everybody in the world that actually it's not that bad. Yeah. You have it in your system and win a gold medal. You were, were you as much of an advocate for it then as you've become now? Well, it was all just, um, in those days, it was all, you know, there was no internet. There was no information about it. Yeah. Um, we, we just thought it was good for us. And yeah, I used, I've been, I was using cannabis from the late eighties until up until 98. Mm-hmm. So like a good 10 years, I'd already been using cannabis and, and pretty much realizing throughout that time at first, it was just like experimenting in high school and stuff. And then in 90, when I moved to Whistler, I, I discovered athletes were using it um, all day long and uh, for different reasons um, uh, also. And that's when I started to use it. And so, you know, by the time 98 came around, you know, for me, it was, there was no drug testing in the original World Cup tour either. So it wasn't, it it wasn't an issue. Nobody really talked about it. The, The main problem was traveling and the, Europe wasn't in the EU yet at the time, so there was a lot of borders, and so it just was impossible really to to travel with it. And it wasn't even something that you know we had to have or anything. I mean, it's, one of the beauties of it is it's not addictive. If you have to go somewhere and you can't, you know, use cannabis, it's not the end of the world. And you know, we we when we were, you know, 
in downtime or we weren't training or racing, you know, we'd hang out with our local friends, maybe in Innsbruck or maybe in Zurich or maybe, you know, somewhere in near Turin or who, wherever we were, we would yeah. hang out and find out we would by so many years, we would know, you know, all our, which friends of ours, uh, you know, use cannabis. And so we would just hook up wherever we were. But, um, you know, for, for Nagano, it wasn't like, a big deal either. We thought it was on the list of banned substances and uh, as it turned out, it wasn't. <laughs> we all thought it was. So that was, so it was a risk. Big... <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, well, we weren't, I wasn't, I stopped using it way before Nagano. Like in April, I stopped using it completely yeah, right. and I had barely even been using it before that because we thought the World Cup Tour um, had a, I think on the World Cup tour, it was on the list of banned substances, but mm-hmm. on the Olympics, it wasn't. Wow. And uh, for some reason, like it was a big surprise yeah. that is it, it wasn't. Is it now? Oh, yeah. They added it that summer. Yeah. And then and then uh, two years ago, they raised it by a thousand percent higher because athletes were still testing positive for it. And... Uh, you mean uh, they raised? You mean they raised the? Um, what did they raise? Uh, the IOC uh, raised the limit that they imposed in '98 after me by a thousand percent two years ago, because athletes were continuing to test positive for cannabis that weren't using right. cannabis, and they were realizing that the cannabis culture is there; it's real. Um, you know, they just didn't want athletes testing positive for it. I, I don't even know what the heck they're thinking, but that's what they did. And then this year, WADA took it, uh, took CBD off the list of banned substances completely, right. allowing all professional athletes, including Olympic athletes, to use CBD. Right. Um, so there's there's been a slow, you know, shift, you know, in the direction of cannabis, mostly on the CBD side. But I think as we move in out of prohibition and start having conversations about it more frequently with, you know, that, you know, THC will also come off the list. I mean, these guys are drinking heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Athletes right now are drinking heavy. The IOC members are all heavy drinkers. I think they're going to be able to realize that THC is nothing to be concerned about. So let's talk about that because, because it's a little bit surprising to me, and I'm sure to some people who listen to this, that, you know, the epitome of health and athleticism um, often takes the shape of athletes in the Olympics uh, or professional athletes in general. It's a little surprising to hear that there's that much use of cannabis in in sports. Well, I, it is because in the past, athletes haven't wanted to talk about it because there was such a huge stigma and they had families and that would have thought negatively towards them. They had endorsement contracts that you know would have been jeopardized there was a whole lot of reasons why athletes weren't talking about it yeah and to what advantage would they have to even talk about it talk about it yeah i don't i think that it was suppressed for a really long time um Mm. i don't think it was any big secret that the nfl players and the nba players were using cannabis Uh, i don't think that was a huge shock to anybody to find that out yeah uh i think it was a more of a it was more interesting to find out what they were using it for, not so much that they were using it. And what, and what now, are they using it for? 
while they're using it for brain, uh, the NFL is using it to cope with brain damage and brain injuries and concussions, right. mostly. And uh, they're finding that CBD is um, now with the research and the extraction methods that we have, pure CBD, you can medicate yourself with, uh, you know, for concussions. And it actually um, can repair damaged brain cells and bring dead brain cells back to life and um, create like a plasma layer between your brain and your skull that can protect your brain from future concussions and um, dealing with all kinds of opiate addictions that the professional athletes have been literally lined up for because of their trainers, you know, just giving them pills at the end of the game or whatever. Yeah. Um, You know, there's all kinds of opiate addictions and, and, issues that surround opiate use that the players are using cannabis to replace. And, um, the THC plays a big role in, uh, dealing with pain and CBD plays a big role through anti-inflammatory. It's anti-inflammatory, um, qualities to reduce pain as well. So, uh, you know, the sleep that's involved, with these athletes, like cannabis helps them sleep. It helps them eat enough calories and eat enough in the day. Uh, it doesn't affect you the next day. It doesn't take you out of the game. You're still waking up early um, to do it all over again and, and to, you know, medicate the next morning even and, and be excited and motivated for for your, your another day. Uh, there's just a nonstop end. I mean, the whole jet lag thing, uh, the NFL guys don't have a lot of, jet lag to deal with but right. a lot of other athletes do travel like across you know the continents and to uh, you know Europe or wherever and are, are dealing with 9 to 10 hours or more of jet lag and um, you know cannabis oil for sleep is unbelievable CBD I mean both the THC uh, sleeping aids are just like you can sleep like a 5 year old on, <laughs> on stuff and uh, I mean it's no joke it's the best thing that I, I mean, when you get to Europe and it's like eight o'clock in the morning in, in Vancouver, but it's time to go to bed and, and you're not feeling hungry and you're not feeling tired and you got to eat and you got to sleep. I mean, there's nothing like blazing a little dew when you get, you know, to your hotel in Europe and, and then, uh, you know, in getting the munchies and eating your little beauty, little European pizza and then crawling into bed for, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it makes the whole thing enjoyable. Yeah, you you you're painting this incredible uh you know picture of of use and it's and it's a it's the way that you're painting it is not a picture I've seen before. And and so I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing at your passion for it and it, and it's okay. it's it's amusing. But uh, uh I do want to go down that road, but I want to get back to the athletes for a second because um it's it sounds like how rampant is the usage in professional sports? Like, it sounds like it's way more rampant than I would have guessed. Well, I mean, rampant's a pretty, that's, I mean, rampant's rampant. <laughs> yeah, it's a big word. Yeah, it's, it's an aggressive word. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that it's rampant across society. I don't think it's just sports. I think yeah, the athletes, enough. I think the athletes are getting the media attention that makes it seem like the athletes are, are, are the ones that are using cannabis and yeah. they are the ones using cannabis, but everyone's using it. Just not everyone has a voice and doesn't I, have the opportunity to 
to shout it out the way the athletes do. Yeah, I guess it's just surprising in the context that you might expect. You know, anyone um, maybe who isn't that familiar or or cannabis isn't isn't something they're thinking about that often. Uh, you might expect people like professional athletes would be avoiding something like that in the interest of um, their health and and performance. Um, so when you talk about it in the context of the way that you're talking about it, the way it's being used, whether it's to cure jet lag or to help sleep or whatever the case might be, I suppose it, there's an argument to be made, but I would have um, I would have assumed maybe wrongly that using it in sport would be a deterrent. Now, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but it wouldn't be um, performance enhancing, which brings me to that question. And that is- I think that is it to be quite the opposite, that it is performance enhancing. Yeah, that's in, like, talk to me about that. Well, because all those things I mentioned before, like you're getting your sleep, right? Yeah. Uh, you're not hung over the next day. You're not impairing yourself physically. You're not impairing, you know, impairing your judgment either, which can lead to bad decision making, right? Uh, there's a whole plethora of things that, you know, you know, the anti-inflammatory aspects of CBD, for example, CBD is non-psychoactive. It, um it's a, an amazing tool for athletes that are uh, re doing like reoccurring workouts on a regular basis, like most athletes do. And uh, you can medicate yourself with CBD like all day long with CBD water. You can have CBD in your energy bars. I'm coming. I've got a new company called Legacy that's doing uh, focusing specifically on CBD and the whole uh sports aspect of uh of that so we've really targeted you know what the athletes are looking for and the, the benefits are just there's a, like such a long list of benefits i mean you can literally <laughs> use it at the end of the day for instead of uh, you know alcohol if you really need to like relax and you know the thc has that psychoactive component right. to it that is very enjoyable and relaxing then you don't have to have alcohol to kind of have that you know, healthy end to the day where, you know, you're enjoying yourself and your friends and, and some music and you're having, you know, something good to eat for dinner and you're, you've got the munchies and you're ready to eat. And then you roll into, you know, feeling sleepier later. And, you know, that's just what you want if you're an athlete is to, to you know, come down from the day, the, the stress of what competitions might be coming up and, um, deal with your, you know, not only you're medicating yourself for mental wellness, but I mean, you're getting the effects of all the anti-inflammatory aspects of it and all of the, the pain, you know, medication that it just helps you deal. It doesn't cover up pain or mask pain the way an opiate does. It just makes pain manageable so that, you know, it's there, but you're, you're, you're comfortable with it, but you know, it's there and you're not going to do something to make it worse. Wow. And so that you allow it to heal where when you're on a painkiller, it's literally killing the pain. So you can't feel it. So you can continue injuring yourself, which creates a need for more opiates, which causes an addiction, which goes beyond sport and beyond injuries. And it creates phantom pain that you don't even have, which is what you think they're lying because they're on, they're addicted to opiates, but they've created a situation where they've given themselves phantom pain which is like having a amputation and then having that feel like your arm is still there but it hurts but it's not even there and Jeez. that's what opiate overuse of opiates does to you and so they're actually in pain but they've caused it themselves by using too many opiates yeah none of this stuff happens and none of that complicated complicated stuff happens with cannabis it's non-addictive you can go on it and off it uh it's 
it's completely not an issue and it's and it's healthy zero calories you know <laughs> zero fat man i have to tell you uh, you, you, you uh this has got to be the single most compelling case for for marijuana use I think I've ever heard. Like I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm going, holy shit, like this sounds, <laughs> sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, the funny thing about it is, and I'm wondering about uh, your conversations um, with people who don't share that same view at all. So what I mean by that would be people that maybe don't have the information that you might have. Or share the same perspective, and maybe have a fear of it, uh, fear of the unknown, perhaps, but are are um, just maybe afraid of it. And and to hear you talk about it, um, it it creates a very different idea of what this thing is. So, how do you have you ever been confronted by someone or dealt with someone who says, you know, you're full of shit? I don't buy any of this. Yeah, I just did several sports talk radio shows this week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, well, let's do another one. <laughs> uh, I didn't hear those, but did, you were confronted on those shows? Yeah, on both shows. They were like, you know, disagreeing with me and telling me about their personal accounts with with their irresponsible marijuana use, basically. Right. And uh, it just comes from a, a place of, like, there's, they didn't have any solid information. It was just on their own personal account. Like, who gives anyone the right to smoke a whole joint to themselves? Like <laughs> that takes, that takes a whole bunch of like preparation and, and lead up time. You, not, not anyone can just smoke a whole joint to themselves. Right. You know, that not anyone can just have one or two puffs and, and not get too high. Most people who don't use cannabis would have one puff from a, from good weed and be 10 times too high from one puff. Right. Right. And they just, they're just out there from the bar drunk Smoking cigarettes when they don't even smoke cigarettes. Mm. I would have buy this on the, in the alley or on the side of the street in front of the bar, and their buddy pulls out a nice dupe, and they just puff away on it for five minutes before they even feel it. Yeah, it's and too then much. the next thing you know, they're telling they're telling everybody, "Oh, weed's so dangerous and bad." Yeah, and uh, telling them about the worst experience they've ever had in their in their life, and um, so you're, you know, you're... for me, it's like. I, I want to, I explained to him, uh, the guy on the radio, I'm like, look, like if you're taking a kid, say, you know, his first drinking experience or her first drinking experience and you're like, okay, well, here's a 40 pounder or, or even let's just say, here's a six pack of beer. Yeah. You know, drink that six pack of drink beer it all, yeah. and, uh, you know, have fun. Yeah. So that's irresponsible. Okay. That you wouldn't do that. Right. You'd, if you're introducing your, your kids to alcohol, which most people should do, you know, at some point before they get it from somewhere else, yeah, you teach them how to do it. You have, you, you, you let them have half a beer maybe at the most at once and let them feel it out. Ha- let them have the other half like later. So they've had one beer in an hour. So they know what one beer in an hour feels like. I mean, it's the same for weed. You got to microdose yourself. Just mm-hmm. like the doctor. If you go to a doctor, you have cancer, you have something where they're prescribing you painkillers and you, you, you know, you need a high dose because that's how sick you are. Uh, they don't give you that high dose right away because you wouldn't be able to handle it. So they right. prescribe you a lower dose and then you come back next week and they give you the higher dose. And after a month, you're finally up, your, your tolerance is up so that you can take an effective dose of the medicine that he's trying to give to you. For all that time that it wasn't 
even to medicate the issue is just so that you can get to a level where you can give it an effective dose where you can start we working can handle on the it. issue. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same for weed. You got to microdose yourself and the new vape pens and things that we you can get now are great for, for doing that. Right now, 10 milligrams of THC is considered to be one dose. But for somebody who doesn't use cannabis, you might want to just try one milligram. Right. You know, and do that through a vape pen by just having a short puff of it. And over time, you can increase your tolerance to the point where, yeah, you could stand outside on the corner and have one or two puffs of a joint and just have a nice experience. Right. But that everybody doesn't have the right, you know, to just think that, oh, it's just a small little joint. I can just smoke the whole thing. Right. Like, that, that's just irresponsible. And, and I get that all the time. Yeah. Ross, do you drink? Like it, it compared yep. to your, um, your cannabis use, like, um, how does it compare to that? I'm assuming you, the sense I'm getting is that you use cannabis maybe more than you drink. Oh yeah. Well, I use cannabis all day long and, yeah. uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, I'm probably using cannabis, you know, by 6am I get up at five, have a, a couple of coffees and get things ready for the morning. And then I'll have a puff at around six. Uh, you know, and then I'll throughout the day, I'll, I'll keep medicated every couple of hours if I'm at home or, you know, around home, if I'm traveling, it's always different. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, I, I just like anybody, I mean, I'd love to have a, a beer, a beer clock, you know, whenever that is. <laughs> well, what's that? It's noon somewhere, right? That's, that's always, I some, don't even, <laughs> yeah. If you want to go have a beer or go for lunch and have a beer or someone, calls me and my or my wife brings home beer i'm happy sure um when was the last I don't time make it again. my life doesn't revolve around i yeah. eat cold beer <laughs> when was the last time that you went for any length of time without using cannabis like you use daily i think the um if i got it right on the uh the tsn little movie there i think what was it 10 grams a day or something or was it more than that i said five to 15 maybe or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So when was the last time you went any length of time without using it all? Like how, what's the length of time? I don't know. Let's say like a week. A week. <laughs> Is that crazy? I can't think of the last, I don't think I've gone a week so, uh, in 20 years. Okay. How about like a couple of days? I can't remember. Yeah. So the reason I'm asking, I'm interested in, I'm interested in, um, your comparison to how you would feel, you know, medicated and how you would feel not medicated. And I get anxiety. I'll tell you that. You really I do. Get, eh? I, I think I don't get anxiety. I just feel what everybody else feels that doesn't smoke weed. I get cannabinoid deficient. <laughs> Man, you know? your perspective is amazing. I, I, I get I get edgy, you know, you're not supposed to be cannabinoid deficient. We have like these beautiful cannabinoid receptors in our bodies that are, I think it's the number two receptor in our entire bodies. And, so, um, how do you know all yeah. this? Well, there's science out, out there. And I guess part of the, the, the beautiful thing of being part of the, the cannabis community is when these studies come out, it's very relevant to our lives and, right, and right, right. it always, it always backs up the, the shit we've been dealing with and having to 
answer the ridiculous questions over not by not I'm I'm not talking about today I'm just saying over the period of prohibition like they used to say the most craziest things about people that use cannabis yeah and you know people have gone to jail and families have been broken up and kids have you know lost their parents over yeah uh, growing cannabis and you know for sure there's the odd case where there was some crimes involved that wasn't just happy cannabis use or or nice you know but you know case by case but whatever i mean the prohibition of it has really created a sense of ignorance really and and people not wanting to know i just we just know because the cannabis community is a tight community and on instagram if you get onto any of the cannabis platforms um you know yeah literally a thousand uh, there's a thousand news briefs a day on on the latest and greatest and you know over time you you hear them enough times and you start remembering them all and yeah you know it's what what i do so you so that's actually kind of what i wanted to where i wanted to go next and get so the transition let's get back to the beginning here where you olympic snowboard champion gold medal winner all of this happens I know that it was tough for you, um, you know, the few years after the Olympics when you couldn't travel anymore, uh, which limited your ability, ability to compete, correct? Correct. And then, so you had this lull, uh, I think, where you were trying to figure out what next. And then this became, it kind of became your life. So I'm fast forwarding now to now. Um, you're one of the biggest advocates for cannabis, Um certainly that I'm aware of in, in Canada. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. And, and, I, and I've been thinking about your path lately as we prepared for the chat and, you know, the whole snowboard culture thing. And, and you, you know, you reach the peak of that sport. Um, and then so the world just kind of says, now here's what's going to happen to you. And here you are. It's become a massive part of your life, right? So now you're, it's like, skip ahead to now you've got you're into business now you you're, you're an entrepreneur you've got a couple of companies you're 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 making a living now because of this plant and the lifestyle that you are uh, involved in so tell me about that it's a growing lifestyle <laughs> did you you've been waiting to say that <laughs> I just thought it was a good time, right? That was perfect. <laughs> that's, that's that's the tagline for our new company, Legacy. And uh, is it really the anyway, tagline? Yeah, it's a growing lifestyle. Oh, and that's crazy. Legacy is like, as you know, Legacy is a company that has everything you need to grow. Um, we're going to have two plant kits. We're going to have all kinds of stuff, plus all the lifestyle stuff that you need to go with your your garden, like skis and coffee beans and. Um, you know, healthy living track suits and stuff. But yeah, you know, now it, it is uh, a growing lifestyle because, you know, we're able to openly discuss it and talk about it. And, and we're, we're all going to be allowed to have four plants next year. So yeah. um, it's getting more popular than it already was. I mean, weed was already the most popular thing going yeah, I mean, the, the culture is the culture is shifting for sure. I mean, you've you've got yeah. so you've got two companies now, correct? That's it. Yeah, Ross's Gold, which is the our boutique dispensary model that we're franchising out across the country. That uh, um, you know we're looking at doing sixty stores in the next twelve months across the country, and then wow. from there exponentially expanding. 
you know, we have close relationships with all of the, the right people to make sure that our, our brand can get into even the government stores. So uh, Legacy is the other company, which is uh, supports the cannabis industry with the ancillary things that you need to grow weeds. So right. uh, we have grow tents, nutrients, organic soil systems, CO2 enhancers, uh, all kinds of things like that. Plus, you know, we're, I'm doing a pro model, um, handmade skis by Skavik, um, from Vernon, British Columbia. Uh, we're doing, um, my own signature line of espresso coffee beans from frog friendly coffee out of, um, salmon arm, a place called canoe, salmon arm very fitting name uh their their source of coffee beans is a rainforest in mexico and the indigenous people literally harvest the beans themselves with donkeys and they're all natural coffee beans they're not they're not planted plants they're all naturally growing already for thousands of years and um very special coffee beans from frog friendly coffee so we're really excited about our legacy partners and um you know we all work together to um create exposure for each other and um you know through our website our legacy website showcases all of our uh our um you know group of companies that that we have in our fold so the business is booming i mean we've got the whole cannabis side of dispensaries and and recreational cannabis coming down the pipeline and then you have all the you know glassware and and everything that goes along with consuming cannabis and um you know, now we're we're looking at the ancillary side with legacy and uh, the the amount of interest in the horticulture side is massive. I mean, it's bigger than the the cannabis side. I mean, horticulture it's the biggest industry in the world. Wow! And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of our partners are already in you know ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty countries, depending on which which product. You know, completely legal. I mean, we're we're selling dirt, literally, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, people are are buying it, and it's great. And I think that the more people learn about growing cannabis, the more they'll be conscious about what food they're eating, and maybe even you know, decide to use our organic soil system for their gardens, to, right. so that they can grow their own vegetables. So this isn't just about cannabis, but it's just about healthy living in general, and. Um, you know, that's that's what Ross's goal is, has always been about. That's what legacy is going to be about and what it is about. We've got energy bars, the best energy bars you could ever imagine about to hit the shelves. And uh, <laughs> CBD I'm bars. Look for those. So, yeah, we've, it's just, you know, the business is the business and uh, it's fun to keep it fun. That's, that's where I think the snowboard industry really made its mark. And I think if you're, you're watching the Olympics now, you can tell the difference that snowboarding is a different sport than the other sports. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a sense of camaraderie uh, in the cannabis industry. There's a sense of camaraderie. Um, wow. You know, there's a lightheartedness in snowboarding the way there is in the cannabis industry. It's very, they parallel the same culture basically. And um, yeah, I thought, know, it, I thought, I thought it was funny the guy that one I, I can't remember the name I'm horrible with names but the, the, there was a, a guy in that movie on TSN and and he was commenting on the the cannabis um, I guess nature of the sport and and how that it was it was very obvious to those people that that it was 
very present in the can- in the snowboarding community, and and that, that maybe they shouldn't be surprised that you had tested positive and, and it was secondhand and all of that. Right. And you know, it's kind of funny to me that. Give, even with all the stigma attached, that somehow it was an acceptable idea that in the snowboarding community, this is part of that world. Yet everyone was so shocked, you know, when that happened. Um, Ross, you call it Ross's gold. Is that got anything to do with your medal? Yeah, it has everything to do with my medal. Um, it's a play on words because there was, you know, the Acapulco gold and, and Strain. all that that strain back yeah. in the day was really popular. So I thought it was a, a fun way to, you know, use the, my gold medal and my name and the whole connection to the cannabis world all in one. So it became Ross's gold. And in fact, Whistler Mountain um, named a run after me back in 98 after Nagano 20 years ago, and they called it Ross's gold. And uh, that's where I got the idea from. And so, you know, five years ago, we put it on paper and, and it stuck. So the, the, here we are. That's amazing. Um, so it's about to be legal, arguably sometime in July. We're not sure when. Um, I, but the sounds of it, that sounds like it's going to be a terrific thing for you. Um, what do you make of all that? We wouldn't have never imagined even five years ago that this would have happened now. So yeah. it's, it's uh, way um, sooner than anyone imagined. And uh, so we're excited. And a lot of people have been, you know, scrambling over the last few years, including ourselves, to align ourselves with whatever the laws are. And they keep changing. So it's hard to, yeah. um, you know, really get behind you know, I knew that when Harper was prime minister, that that system just wasn't going to uh, be the system. Yeah. And then sure enough, you know, with Trudeau now, we were, were looking at recreational cannabis. And uh, so I'm glad that we didn't have a knee-jerk reaction on the first go around. And now we have a, a more proactive approach to, uh, you know, what cannabis is looking like and how it should look. I think the government did a fair job at putting together their task force and learning as much as they could being, you know, who they were. I think they did a good job to, you know, present it the way they did. Now I think the provinces might've done a better job of putting together their own task forces because the feds left it up to the provinces. And then of course, you know, the municipalities need to, you know, follow suit with the feds as well and put together their own task forces so that they can understand um, better, you know, the safety of cannabis and, and be able to realize the implementation of, of the new law isn't going to be something of concern. It doesn't need to be, you know, zoned out of the city to the outskirts of the city and the police don't need any extra money to enforce the law. They need less money. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think that the feds did a great job of learning about it, but I don't think the rest of the the provinces or the municipalities really have. I know that some have, like BC is pretty in the know when it comes to cannabis already. I mean, this is probably brought about because of British Columbia, this entire legalization. Hmm. Um, some of the municipalities in BC are um, educated about cannabis, like Vancouver, Victoria, um, other municipalities in in bc have you know already licensed um 
dispensaries and they're fine with it and they, the the numbers speak for themselves there hasn't been any issues except for police raids <laughs> yeah right um have you ever been consulted consulted like have has anyone from the government or anyone in any sort of capacity come to you and said you know ross you seem to know what's going on here what would your advice be if we do this has anyone ever approached you in that way no one's ever approached us, but I've written uh, several letters to the federal government about where the direction of the industry should go. And I think they're reading them. Oh, yeah? I think so. Yeah, Seems like they're, it's, going, it's going where I was hoping it was going. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, assuming this happens and it becomes legal... You know, what do you think the biggest risk for society would be? I mean, you know, again, in my head, you've got a bunch of people like yourself that that seem to know a lot about it, educated and kind of can manage it themselves. You got people probably somewhere in the middle that maybe have some awareness, but maybe not that much. And then I would imagine you have people that this this concept of it being legal is just in like crazy. What are your thoughts on kind of the biggest risks in society or or maybe even the other side of that? What would your advice be to people who are kind of trying to figure out what how they're going to react to it all? Well, I think the biggest risk will be mismanaging the tax revenue. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, there's going to be so much tax revenue, and I hope that they've put together an allocation of funds already because all of a sudden there's going to be a bunch of tax revenue that they didn't have before. Um, you know, as far as risk to society, I think it was a, it's been a risk to society to have it under prohibition. I think allowing it to be free access and having it available to people to use um, is a health benefit, not a risk. I don't, I don't see it as, as being a risk uh, at all in any way no one's ever died from it so what's the risk yeah you know you've got you've got kids right you got three kids yeah three kids and eight, five, and two. Eight, five, and two. So fairly young kids. Um, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm hearing is some of the biggest concerns from people is, you know, my kids, what about my kids? Now, a lot of the discussions that I've been having with folks are, you know, the first of all, the idea that, that it's not um, it's not like it's all of a sudden being introduced. It's been there and, and kids that want to get to it, figure out how to get to it at some point. So well, if it's, if it's illegal, it's a lot easier to get to it than if it's, you have to go to a store. Right. And that's part of the, that's part of the motivation, I guess, with, from, from Trudeau's perspective, part of the motivation is keep it out of organized crime, regulate the product. So it's safer, all of that. Um, how do you handle this with your kids? I would rather if they smoke or use cannabis than if they used alcohol flat out. Really? Of course. Yeah. And have you already talked to them about that? No, they're not old enough to even talk to them about alcohol, really. But they, they see us drinking uh, beers and different cocktails or whatever from time to time. And they see me using cannabis as well you know, on a daily basis, like I don't smoke it in their faces or anything like ridiculous, like what people would assume. Uh, uh, there's no, we don't hold a stigma to our beer drinking. We don't like turn away and have a sip of beer and I don't, uh, hide my cannabis use from them either. And Mm -hmm. they don't think that it's different. They don't have a stigma of cannabis. So I'm not, I'm here to not give them the stigma as well. And yeah. uh, 
Um, I'm trying not to pass on the stereotypes and the stigmas to my kids by not hiding it from them and not, you know, you know, they see that I use cannabis and um, they don't think twice about it. it. It doesn't, you know, it's just like, do your kids ask you about when you're having a glass of wine or a beer? Like, yeah. you know, Mike, it's the same thing. So, you know, and with regards to like teenage use, I mean, who wants their kids drinking alcohol? You know, if you know what the, the effects of cannabis are, you would much rather have your kids uh, using cannabis and hanging around, watching movies at someone's house yeah. and not, you know, out getting drunk, trying to hook up with chicks and in the park <laughs> in the middle of the night and get drunk as, you know what? And, uh, you know, it's just, you're not taking yourself out of the game when you're using cannabis. You're not making bad decisions. You're not, you yeah. know, impairing your judgment. You're not impairing yourself physically. You know, you can still ride your bike home if you're, you know, if you happen to be underage, you know, you're not driving. I mean, if you're 16 or 17, 18, and you're in high school and you're driving and you're drinking and your friends are drinking and everyone's yeah, telling you that, first of all, you're a teenager making stupid decisions anyways when you're plain yeah. sober. Yeah. Then you're drinking and things just get out of control. Trust me, if, if you if the kids are using cannabis, like I don't recommend kids or, you know, using any kind of substances, but the reality is, is that they do. I would much rather have them using cannabis and, you know, not having sex with, with each other, you know, like bad decisions don't happen on cannabis. Okay. Right. Let me tell you that right now. Yeah. I mean, Again, I, I'm imagining people listening to this who just not, again, not as informed uh, or as familiar with this product as you are, just draw jaws on the floor right now listening to what you're saying. And I think that's okay. I mean, the thing that we've been learning, the more conversations that we have is I'm not sure anybody really knows, you know, kind of if it's good or if it's bad or who's right about all of that. I mean, everyone has their own opinions on it. Um Yours is fascinating. I mean, I, I, I haven't met someone with such um such a strong point of view on it. Um, the thing of it, of it is that it's not an opinion. Like you can have your opinion and ideological standpoint. Yeah. But I'm not coming at you from a personal opinion. And this is a factual conversation. And yeah. uh, it's just a matter of people being on board or not being on board. And, yeah. you know, you can. Like it's happening. You don't have to convince. You don't have to change everybody's mind. Yeah. You know, if you don't believe it, that's your problem. Like, it's not my job to change your mind, but I can help yeah. you if you're interested to learn more about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you said I loved, you had a line in that movie and I keep referencing this because it was it just released like a couple of days ago. Right. Um, which is very cool, by the way. Um, but you said something in that movie that had really stuck with me. And you said the truth is the truth. You don't have to believe it. And I, I just thought, holy shit, that's a great, what a great way to look at it. You know, you don't have to believe it, uh, but this is your truth. And I think that was a, a pretty cool way to summarize what was going on for you. Um, Ross, I think, uh, look, we could go on for hours. Um, I, I, this has been great. I'm glad you took the time to chat with us. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do this. Um, I, I had not considered the way that it must have felt for you to have gone through that at the Olympics until the beginning of this film. 
when you were you had made a suggestion to the to the guy that was interviewing you that you hadn't moved your 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 um, Olympic um, memories and 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 medals and memorabilia uh, into the house because you were still feeling a bit of shame about what happened, and I, I had never considered that that would be the way you would feel. I, I, all I thought about was that, my God, you won the gold medal and what, a, what an accomplishment. And you, you know, nobody can take that away from you. You have that. But you are having trouble accepting it yourself. And I hope, I mean, here we are 20 years later, you know, uh, we're on the, the cusp of legalization. Um, your story is very relevant again. I'm not sure how that feels for you. Um, but I hope that when this becomes legal, you can finally kind of relish in the race you know, you can be proud of, of what you accomplished in that race. I remember watching that. I saw that happen and freaked out. You know, I was like, holy shit, this guy just won. Like, you know, he's from Canada. It was very cool. And and I guess in some ways, I, I underestimated how much what happened overshadowed the, the moment of that race for you. And so I want to congratulate you on the race. Um, and I and I hope that when this, when this legalization happens and your businesses are up and running and things are going well for you, that you can really feel that and, and be at peace with what happened because I think you deserve that. So I just wanted to say that to you and I wanted to thank you again for, uh, for taking a minute to chat with us. This has been great. And uh, I hope we get to chat face to face sometime. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And uh, yeah, the, the whole like thing was, was tough to take and it was, t- it was hard to swallow. And there was a lot of years there where I wasn't sure what, you know, the outcome was going to be. So, sure. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, the future. Definitely. Yeah, man. Well, look, congratulations to you for, for the accomplishment at the Olympics, for your accomplishments with your business and the advocate that you've become and, uh, and keep on the train, man. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. I'll be watching. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Okay. Chat soon, man. Thank you. Okay. You bet. Bye for now. Well, that was Ross Rebliati. Uh, I mean, I was waiting for this conversation and I kind of forgot how timely it was going to be. Here we are smack in the middle of the Winter Olympics. 20 years ago, you know, we're watching snowboarding, as Ross said, now of quite a different sport uh, than it was then. I don't know if I was ready for um, the very strong opinions uh, as well. Let me rephrase that. Not opinions, but facts that Ross has in his as repertoire and and how knowledgeable he is of the of the uh, of the industry. And I, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, given that it became his life. And I and I really do. I I feel I feel um, some empathy for what it must be like to have the gold medal accomplishment overshadowed by by what has become his life. But I hope now that he can um, find some peace and and joy in the fact that uh, he achieved what he achieved. I don't know what to think. I'm sure there's people listening going, man, I can't believe this guy. You know, he believes it's such a healthy thing. It's how can it be so healthy when, you know, on the other hand, we have people telling us about risks and psychosis, links to psychosis. And I think all of that's true. I keep coming back to the idea that knowledge is power. And the more you learn, the more you know, and, and that's no secret. Uh, I, I love this idea of the truth is the, is the truth and you don't have to believe it. Um, I guess that's true. And it, Ross's take on things, um, as I think back to the conversation, I guess shouldn't be surprising when you consider that that industry, that the sport that he's involved in, he's from Vancouver, it's, he, the cannabis and weed, whatever you want to call it, has been such a part of his life for so many years that it starts to feel and become normal. 
and and perhaps more so than it is for people that aren't that exposed to it, maybe in other parts of the country or in different with who who live with different lifestyles. I I, I find myself kind of very intrigued and just listening to Ross during that conversation and, and really quite fascinated by his take on things. Um, it served him well and continues to serve him well. And I will be watching closely as, as his brands and his um, legacy uh, uh, takes a hold of, of what's going to become a legalized and regulated industry. Uh, I do wish him well and I, and I thank him for taking the time to chat with us. I, um, I feel like this conversation is going to stick with me for a few days as I watch the Winter Olympics unfold and imagine what he thinks when he's watching. And I do hope that someday he takes that stuff out of that basement and hangs it up in his house and uh, maybe I'll get him to send a, a picture and we'll, we'll share it with everybody. So that was uh, Ross Rebliotti on, on this episode of Turning a New Leaf. Listen in in a couple of weeks when we have Deandra Phipps. And I feel like this theme of health and wellness will continue uh, from, from Ross to Deandra. And Deandra is the manager of corporate affairs at National Access Cannabis. She's a social entrepreneur, an educator, uh, and and. Deandra's going to share with us her views on health and wellness, the role that cannabis plays in that, how you can cook with cannabis, and why that might be a good idea. All coming up in a couple of weeks on the next episode of Turning a New Leaf. You are listening to Turning a New Leaf. I'm your host, Sean King, and this show is produced by the Village Soundcast Network. We'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.